Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another PC Boys podcast. This is your boy Logan, and today, well, it's the podcast you all have been waiting for, the Spider-Man No Way Home spoiler review. So, for those of you that have already seen Spider-Man No Way Home, um, I know that this, uh, this review is a little bit late, but I didn't get to see it till today. I needed to think about my thoughts about the movie uh, before I rated it and before I, um, you know, place it among my MCU and Spider-Man movies of all time. So, going into this movie, I already had been spoiled some things about it, which unfortunately did kind of hurt the viewing experience, because if I didn't know about these things, you know, going into the movie, such as Toby, Andrew, Matt Murdock, the villains, and the Green Goblin's performance overall... Without knowing these things, this movie would have been so much better. But unfortunately, I'm in the podcasting business, so having spoilers not come my way is kind of impossible when it comes to, you know, having to do the research on everything. Um, but taking a look at this movie, the movie starts off a lot like most MCU movies. It's very down-to-earth and light-hearted. But here's the main problem I have with the first beginning portion of the movie. The movie moves way too fast. I mean, I wish I was kidding. This movie moves way too fucking fast at the beginning of the film. Like, Sony Venom 2 levels of fast, which is not a compliment. Um, the movie should, I don't know, it just moved too fast for my liking. From his identity getting revealed to it getting resolved relatively quickly. I mean, I know that they kind of had to, you know, do the Sinister Five sort of thing. But the main problem for me is that it felt like there was two different movies being made in this film. The first half of the movie felt like it had to deal more with Peter, you know, dealing with his identity crisis. And then, of course, Matt Murdock comes in, is on the phone, and pretty much solves his entire problems, which it was nice to see Charlie Cox back again as Matt Murdock in the MCU, finally, like, in canon. Well, I mean, it was canon in anyways, but you know what I'm saying. Like, to see him on the screen, that's nice. And a lot of people might be mad that he's not in the movie for a long time at all. Like, we're talking maybe a little over a minute he's in the film. But at the same time... He didn't need to be in this movie a fuck ton. And it's not like you were going to see Daredevil pop up suited up in this movie anyways. That's being saved for the Echo Disney Plus show, most likely, I would assume. Um, Which, speaking of, we will get to the Hawkeye season finale tomorrow. I will be doing a review on the entire, you know, series and what I personally think um, about that ending uh, to to, to the uh, whole show and, and what I think about it. But... So, yeah, the beginning of this movie was relatively very quick moving, and the whole identity situation gets solved relatively quickly, at least on the legal side of things, so, you know, you're not having to worry about that, um, and that's really that for the beginning half of the movie. So, then we get to the point where Peter, MJ, and Ned, they're applying for colleges, and they're getting denied um, acceptance because of the whole, you know, Spider-Man possibly being a murderer thing, um, and so Peter tries to figure out a way to solve this, so he goes to Doctor Strange, and has him cast a uh, spell in which he fucks up, and it rips open the multiverse, which Doctor Strange does end up containing 
However, this also did allow Spider-Man villains and Spider-Men from other universes to come into the MCU. So, this of course leads Peter, or Doctor Strange to kick Peter out, and Peter's like, well, fuck, okay, I'm gonna go talk to the lady, um that's doing the admin, uh, admissions and convince her to get my friends in because they had nothing to do with what happened with me and Mysterio. Um, so he goes to do that on the interstate, mind you. And this is where we're first met with Doc Ock. So Doc Ock shows up relatively early on, uh, and is the first villain we get introduced to. Um, and Doc Ock, of course, fights Spider-Man on the bridge, as we saw in the trailer, and it was done phenomenally, might I add. The hand-to-hand combat in this movie was absolutely insane. I loved it. I've been waiting for the MCU Spider-Man to get here. Um, so, basically, Peter ends up saving the administration's lady, using his nanotech from his Iron Spider suit to disable Doc Ock's arms, and... The administration's lady said that she's going to change or, or, or put in a good word for Peter and his friends. So she goes off, and at this time, you know, Peter's spider sense tingles, which is awesome to finally see his spider sense in this movie. And the Green Goblin comes in very briefly, blows up a car or so, and while he's using on his glider and he's zipping towards Peter. They get teleported by Doctor Strange to the Sanctum, where Peter is, you know, there in his suit, and Doc Ock is behind a magical barrier, and then, of course, Doctor Strange reveals this box that he has, and gives Peter his special web, uh, web shooters to teleport the villains back to, um, or to these other cells. So, also, this is where we get to meet Doctor Connors, aka the Lizard, who is one of the, I would say, the least developed character in this entire movie. Um, and he is in a cell as well that apparently Doctor Strange found him lurking around in the sewer system, which would make a lot of sense because, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man, that's where he was too. So, there's that. So Peter is now sent out to go after other villains that have come from other universes. The first two that he ends up finding is Flint Marco Sandman and Jamie Foxx or Max Dillon, a.k.a. Electro. And Electro, when he first shows up, is the blue version that we see in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with a lot less features, but the more power that he sucks up, actually, for some reason, I guess the electricity in the MCU is so far more advanced than it was in The Amazing Spider-Man universe because his body actually gets restored and he's actually shocked by it. Um, and Flint Marco helps Spider-Man stop Electro, in the first altercation. Now, here's the one thing about the villains in this movie. They aren't all bad guys. They, for the most part, some have, you know, conflicting emotions and, and reasonings. I mean, we all know Doc Ock, of course, the chip in his neck is the reason why he's fucked up. Sandman just wants to go home to see his daughter. And Electro, he's not as hostile as he is in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but he wants to stay in this world because he, you know feels different, and he likes the power that he has. Um, so these are the characters that get zipped back to the Sanctum next. So right now, at this point, you have the Lizard, Doc Ock, Electro, 
and Sandman in this magical prison, and Aunt May ends up giving Peter a call and letting him know that one of those people that he saw is at her feast shelter. And those of you that played the Spider-Man PS4 game, um, we all can appreciate that Feast actually makes an MCU appearance, which is fucking awesome because that was pretty damn dope in, in the PS4 game. Um, so that was nice. So Peter goes there to save Aunt May, and it's the it's Norman Osborn. Um, the really interesting dynamic of the Goblin in this movie is really fascinating. In in the original Spider-Man movie, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, we get to see the Goblin and Norman and how they're two completely different people, but the Goblin seems to be, well, Norman seems to be like he's actually being benefited by what the Goblin is doing, more so than horrified. Now, in this movie, it's very different. Norman Osborn and the Goblin are very opposite. And Norman Osborn is very, like, scared of what he is capable of doing when the Goblin takes over. Um, when you first see the Goblin after he shows up, he breaks his helmet and is pleading with the Goblin to shut up and he runs away. This is, of course, when he goes to, um, the feast shelter. So Aunt May and Peter drive him in a feast truck to the Sanctum, um, introduces them to the other villains, and Doctor Strange comes back and puts him into a, uh, magical prison. And, of course, Norman is trying to plead Peter for help, because Norman, I, in all honesty, while the Green Goblin in this movie is by far the best villain, most fleshed out villain, and the most sinister Spider-Man villain of all time, um, especially with it being specifically Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, um, this Norman Osborn I feel bad for because you have a good guy, you know, that's been through a lot of shitty things, trapped in his own body with another consciousness being the Goblin, and that side of the consciousness you just absolutely hate and you want him to get, like, you know, beaten the shit out of him. Um, so there's a very conflicting emotion, because when Norman takes over, you feel bad, but then when the goblins are, you're like, well, fuck, we need this motherfucker to go down, like, it's, it's very, it's very interesting throughout the movie how I felt about Norman, and how I felt towards his character, depending on which personality was taking place at the time, so... This leads Peter and Doctor Strange to go into the mirror dimension and fight, and Peter ends up using math to trap Doctor Strange there while he goes back with the two box thing with the spell in it, and then he takes all the villains to Happy Hogan's apartment, where there's this um, machine um, that was used in Spider-Man Fire From Home to create his new, uh, upgraded suit, and this machine is what they use to create antidotes or solutions for each villain. So, Doc Ock gets his chip replaced and becomes a good guy once again, and, he, and he's able to think, um, when it comes to... They didn't actually get to the Blizzard. When it came to Electro, they used this device to suck up the electricity, which... I don't understand how this fabrication machine is just able to create every fucking, like, cure. I don't understand. Um, but, so Doc Ock gets fixed. Electro's being helped. Doc, uh, Connors hasn't had his serum made yet. Um, or gas. Um, 
Let's see. Sandman is not being cured yet at this moment. Um, and uh, Norman Osborn is creating a cure for the Green Goblin. However, Peter's spider senses start to go off. And, of course, Aunt May has convinced Peter to help these villains and do what they're doing. So Norman Osborn ends up losing his consciousness to the goblin, and the goblin comes out and, um, yeah, starts to wreak havoc. Um, Peter, of course, tells Aunt May to run, and he can sense it, so you see the spider sense go off before Goblin reveals himself, and the goblin basically convinces every villain but, um, Doc Ock to, you know, be bad and do bad things. Um, and so basically when it comes to Jamie Foxx, he just wants power. He wants to have this electricity and to be known. Um, when it comes to the lizard, the lizard just wants to create more lizards as he did in the Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and then Sandman, I don't understand Sandman. Like Sandman in this movie, I just feel like is nonchalantly just kind of there to be there. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, and then you have Do uh, Doc Ock, who's still good. And so, yeah, William Defoe's Green Goblin takes over. So Peter Parker now starts to go and fight the Green Goblin. William Defoe's Green Goblin. For the first time in this movie. And the Green Goblin absolutely wrecks Peter Parker. And Peter is punching the Green... Like, there gets to be one scene where he jumps onto the Green Goblin's shoulders and punches him in the face, and the Goblin is looking up at him, smiling as he's getting punched. And then he fucking, like, slams him into the ground through floors. I mean, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin in this movie was easily the best villain and most frightening villain. And a much more terrifying version than he had in 2002. Because in 2002, because of the suit... Although it's iconic, he did look a little silly. Um, but no, the Green Goblin in this movie absolutely fucking destroyed Peter Parker. And this leads us to one of the biggest moments of the movie. Aunt May's death. The balls that Marvel and Sony, whoever wrote the movie, to have this happen, great move. This was the Uncle Ben moment. For this Peter Parker. So, this is at the point when I realize what the Homecoming Trilogy is. The Homecoming Trilogy is not designed in a way to have Spider-Man be just straight up Spider-Man. No, this is designed, the past three movies, to have Spider-Man become Spider-Man. He has the powers and stuff, but he's growing up through each movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I still hate Far From Home. Even with this movie, I still hate Far From Home. But, this movie made me look at the other two in a different light. Knowing that this is what they've been building up to, to an actual Spider-Man movie, in terms of how it feels, is great. The only problem that I have, though, with that approach is it took them too long to get there. I mean, Sam Raimi's movies felt like Spider-Man movies. Every single one of them felt like Spider-Man movies. Even Andrew Garfield felt like Spider-Man movies. The tragedy and the consequences of Peter's actions always came to bite him in the ass. In the MCU, it took them three movies to get that to that point. To me, that's ridiculous. 
But I digress. So Peter gets the shit kicked out of him. Aunt May gets stabbed by the glider. The goblin takes off. Okay? She utters the words, with great power comes great responsibility. Which I was like, yes, finally. Unfortunately, still, Peter doesn't talk about Uncle Ben in this movie. And we'll get to that later. So at this point, Peter, of course, you know, Happy shows up, gets arrested or taken away in custody. And the police start opening fire on Peter. So he gets the hell out of there and goes to the top of his school after he looks at a billboard streaming the Daily Bugle saying that, of course, Spider-Man had claimed another life being his Aunt May. And, um, yeah. So, so then he goes to the school, and that's where he is. Currently at this time, MJ and Ned don't know where Peter is. And Ned accidentally ends up opening two different portals to reveal Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Which I think was done very, very well in Andrew Garfield's case. In Toby's, it was a little underwhelming in how they introduced him. But the dynamic between the Spider-Men in this movie was just something unparalleled. Um, absolutely unparalleled. Um, so you, of course, have um, Andrew and Toby. They see each other. You know, say that they're Spider-Man and stuff, shoot webs at each other. Um, and then this leads them to go and get Peter. This, you know, the MCU Peter. And they basically explain to him that they've lost, um, that they've lost people close to them. And that they've been through hardships. Both of them talk about Uncle Ben's death. And Andrew Garfield gets very emotional and talks about Gwen's death. And he reveals that he actually went into a dark period where he stopped pulling his punches. And for those of you that do not know about Spider-Man in the comics or his overall strength level, Spider-Man always pulls his punches. Only when he gets super pissed off or goes into like a deep rage... He doesn't pull his punches. And this is where Spider-Man's at his most dangerous because a normal human being, one punch from Spider-Man will absolutely kill somebody. Normal person getting punched by Spider-Man, full bore, dead. One punch. So Spider-Man in this movie got a lot of shit happening to him. Right? You know, his Aunt May's dead, his Uncle Ben's dead, Tony Stark's dead. And then we have these other Spider-Men trying to console him. And even Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man saying, with great power comes great responsibility as well. So, what they end up doing is, they end up getting Peter to come to his senses, and then they all create the antidote for each of their respective villains for the most part. Um... Toby ends up making the antidote for Norman. Andrew makes the one or the antidote for um, for Kirk Connors. Um, and then I think that Tom does it the one for uh, the Sandman and Electro. And they're all working and making their stuff, and they talk about their web shooters. <laughs> And Tobey Maguire's like, yeah, I don't have web shooters. And, he, and they're like, dude, that stuff just came right out of you. 
uh, so that's, uh, that was funny, uh, that, that they were, uh, talking about that, because he is, he's the only Spider-Man without any web shooters, um, but yeah, so then they also talk about, or, or, Toby tells Ned about how his best friend Harry tried to kill him, and he died, uh, but, but the one thing he forgot to say is he, he actually didn't die trying to kill him, he died saving him, so, you know, a little bit, a little bit of bad memory there, Toby. But anyways, then that later on leads Ned to be like, I promise I won't come back as a supervillain and try to kill you. Um, and then Tom's like, okay. But yeah, so then they get uh, sling-ringed, a.k.a. teleported to the Statue of Liberty, where Peter Parker makes a live stream announcement, and then all the villains start to roll in. Um... But before that, there's more talk of, like, the organic webbing from Toby, and they ask if it comes out of other places, uh, opposed to just his wrist. Um, and he was like, no, no, they just come out of my wrist. And then they talked about the time when he lost his powers. And, you know, even Toby talks about, you know, him and MJ are together in his universe. It's just complicated, but they make it work. Um, and then in Andrew's universe, he's just too busy being Spider-Man to have a love life. Um, and it's really nice that we actually get interactions talking about those universes to kind of know where those characters are. So then freaking Tom ends up talking about how we went to space and fought aliens. And Toby's like, yeah, I fought this alien goop monster. And then fucking Andrew's like, I'm a loser, dude. I'm boring compared to you guys. I, I want to fight an alien. And then Toby's like, you're not stupid. You're amazing. <laughs> like, you know, cause he's the amazing Spider-Man. Um, so that was really, really cool. And to, I'm telling you, seeing Toby, Andrew, and Tom all on screen, it was so heartwarming. I mean, this movie is a love note to all of us Spider-Man fans that have been there since 2002, or that have at least seen the Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland movies. And I love all the Spider-Men, okay? I don't have a favorite, okay? They all do a good job with what they're given, and they're all great actors. I love watching all their different versions of the character. I don't think that there is a definitive great Spider-Man. Because everybody is raised with a different Spider-Man. And that's something you have to understand. Okay? Everybody might have a definitive Spider-Man. I don't think that there is a definitive Spider-Man. I think that they're all great. And Andrew Garfield acted his ass off in this movie. Um, definitely very enthusiastic to be back in the role, and Tobey Maguire definitely was the most seasoned Spider-Man, had been there, done it more than anybody else, was very calm about everything, so then I remember there was one point where the, <laughs> Tom brings up in the fact that he was part of the Avengers, and then the other Spider-Man are like, who are the Avengers, because in the other Spider-Man universes, they are the only superhero in that universe. Where, of course, in the MCU, you have the Avengers and all those other superheroes. So, very different between all those uh, Spider-Man. But we get to see Toby, Andrew, Tom, you know, suit up and start curing the villains one by one. And they actually kind of get cured quick, in my opinion. I wasn't a big fan that they were cured as quick as they were. Um, the, the only major downside for me was while seeing them all fight together and talk about like their own universes and stuff was great. They didn't really do a lot of fighting in the end. Like it didn't feel personal. I guess you could say it just 
you know, there were some heartwarming moments like when Doc Ock saw Toby Spider-Man again and was like, oh, you're all grown up. And seeing Max Dillon actually get to talk with Andrew Garfield and being like, wow, you're actually just a good-looking kid. I mean, I thought you were going to be a black Spider-Man. And he was like, well, I'm sorry. He's like, no, no, it's okay. And that's obviously, a you know, a reference to, you know, Miles Morales. Um, but yeah, so Spider-Man, you know, they, they all are, you know, talking to their villains. And, you know, everybody's been cheered about at this point. Because, I mean, I can't really sit here and describe the fight scenes. But they were they were really good. And it was really heartwarming to see them all suit up again. And then the goblin comes in. And I gotta tell you, the new goblin outfit is fucking awesome. I loved it. So the goblin comes in. And Peter, of course, is, you know, going after him. But the goblin does manage to get um, MJ knocked off the Statue of Liberty. Or the scaffolding around it. And freaking... Before this, the lizard, and before he was cured, went into the high school in the, um, in the classroom, the lab, and started, like, you know, trying to go after MJ and them. And I was like, that's a reference to The Amazing Spider-Man 1, because in The Amazing Spider-Man 1, Peter Parker ended up fighting the lizard in a lab. (laughs) So I was like, that's a nice throwback, you know, very nice. And then, so, we have the goblin comes in. As being the last villain that there is. And he ends up, like, cutting off one of Doc Ock's arms. And ends up, um... Well, essentially, taking, you know, like I said, the scaffolding down, MJ Falls. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is the one that ends up catching her after Tom Holland's Spider-Man gets punched away by the Goblin. And this, of course, redeems him from Gwen's death. Because Gwen died that way and he couldn't catch her in time. So, you know, he starts to cry because literally this had happened already. So it's, like, really nice to see all these moments. And then, of course, the Goblin gets, um, you know, crashes into Captain America's shield for the Statue of Liberty. Because Tom Holland takes his fucking glider down. And, um... They end up going at it, right? But the Goblin... In my opinion, he ended, Like, after him mopping the floor with Peter Parker earlier on in this movie... Now he didn't put up as much of a fight. But at this point, Peter Parker was not... He was not pulling his punches. Tom Holland's Peter Parker was fucking swinging everything he had at the Goblin. And the Goblin this entire time is trying to make Peter go over the edge. To get get him to the point of no return. And that's all the Goblin wanted to do. The Goblin wasn't even trying to kill Peter. He was trying to make Peter evil, essentially. To be pushed to the edge to murdering him. And Peter Parker picks up his glider and gets ready to stab him right through the chest... So, kind of symbolizing the death that he would have had in Spider-Man 1. But Tobey Maguire stops him from, you know, bringing the glider down on him. And this, of course, makes the Goblin end up stabbing Tobey's Spider-Man, which you never see his actual wound, which I found funny. I think that might have been an editing mistake. Um, But he ends up falling down, and Peter ends up curing the Goblin. And he goes back to normal. Doctor Strange does his spell, which will wipe the whole entire universe's memory of Peter Parker being Spider-Man. Meaning the Avengers are going to forget who he is, his friends, his girlfriend. 
everybody's going to forget who he is. And Peter Parker makes the selfless decision, a Spider-Man-like decision, to sacrifice his relationships with everybody that he knows, including the Avengers and his girlfriend, to make things right, to fix the multiverse. So Doctor Strange does a spell... Everybody gets teleported back to their universes after, you know, Toby, Andrew, Tom all hug it out. The villains go back, they go back, and you end up seeing Tom Holland and his Spider-Man, Peter Parker, walking around. He goes to see MJ and Ned, and they got into MIT, and they're talking at the coffee shop in which that they went to earlier on when they got rejected. Uh, to go to college, uh, to MIT, earlier on in the movie, and he sees how happy they are, and Peter, of course, stumbling, you know, asks for a coffee, and he chooses not to remind them of who he is, and he walks off, and visits Aunt May's grave. Now, this was very reminiscent of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. At the end of almost every Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, there is a funeral scene. And it was very reminiscent to that. And Happy Hogan comes up to him and asks him how he knows May. And he says to Spider-Man. Not even the fact that it was his aunt. And, and, and thinking about it, Happy Hogan, you know, poor Happy, you know, his apartment's destroyed. The woman that he loved... Loves is dead, his best friend's dead, and, and Tom is facing the same exact thing where it's his aunt and Tony's dead. And really, Peter Parker has nobody anymore. I mean, he chooses to leave or have his friends forget him, and that's a hard decision. But he ends up moving into his own apartment, starting college, and he makes his own suit. The classic red and blue handmade suit. And the spider was a big resemblance of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man logo. And I about fucking teared up and cried when I saw that. Because I was like, finally, the MCU has let Spider-Man grow up and be his own hero. It's about fucking time and I'm so excited to see where they go from here. Then this leads us to the mid-credits scene. The only credit scene I'm going to talk about. Where we see Venom and Eddie Brock bewildered at the fact that there's a fuck ton of superheroes and the Avengers in this world. And he's like, well, I think I should go talk to the Spider-Man. They get sn or, or erased or sent back to their universe. And they leave a piece of the symbiote behind. Which obviously will end up being, you know, Tom Holland in the black suit. But here's the thing. <laughs> what the fuck was the point of bringing Venom into the MCU to pull him out of the MCU? I want to see Tom Hardy's Venom versus Spider-Man. I want to see that. I don't want to see a new version of Venom. So for me, that was like really upsetting. That one scene was. Um, so overall, Spider-Man No Way Home was a great movie. It's in my top three favorite MCU movies. It's not better than Captain America Civil War. It's not better than Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is still my number one MCU movie. But I would put Spider-Man No Way Home ahead of everything else in the MCU. 
The only reason Avengers Infinity War got pushed back, in my opinion, is because it's an Avengers movie. I don't think that it's fair to take a big movie like the Avengers and say, damn, that's better than a solo movie. If solo movies do it better than a big team-up movie, they deserve to be put higher on a list. That's my opinion. So Spider-Man No Way Home is my third favorite MCU movie. And that's saying a lot considering the fact that Homecoming is like my 10th favorite and Far From Home is like one of my last favorites. You know, back there with like Captain Marvel and probably The Eternals when I see it because I highly doubt it's going to, you know, have me invested at all. So Spider-Man No Way Home is a great movie. The villains had okay motives, um... Considering the fact of how many of them that there were, um, if I had to, you know, rate them in the fleshed out order, it would go Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Electro, uh, Sandman, then the Lizard. Uh, but the Sandman had more going on with him. I guess his character just kind of got flipped on its head. Um, you know, Toby and Andrew did a great job. I'm glad that they came, uh, you know, came back. Um, there is a possibility that Andrew Garfield could get a Tasm 3 or, you know, have that iteration of the character see more films. But when it comes to Toby, I think they just need to leave Toby alone. I mean, Toby is old. Toby's been at the Spider-Man game long enough. I think that this would be a good way to just end his character. There's not really a reason to bring him back. Um, I, I'm happy with Tobey Maguire's trilogy. I think Andrew Garfield deserves one more movie just to finish his trilogy off. And I'm excited to see where Tom Holland's Spider-Man will continue to go. Because there is a plan, I believe, for another trilogy. Don't take my word for it, but I was hearing, um, some rumors about there being a third, or a second trilogy of Spider-Man movies in development, which would be great because I want to see more of this Spider-Man. I mean, it'd really suck to get Spider-Man actually being Spider-Man at the end of No Way Home to then just be like, eh, we're not going to make him actually be Spider-Man in a actual full-on movie. Because this Spider-Man, in my opinion, like MCU Spider-Man went from having two movies that were just too lighthearted with no consequence at all and Peter wasn't, you know doing science shit, being Peter Parker, to No Way Home, and having all of those things in that movie. And by the end of the movie, he actually made a selfless decision. The decision to make people forget about him, his girlfriend, and then on top of that, when he had the chance to get her to remember him, he chose not to. That's fucking insane to me. That... He actually chose to not have them remember him. That is great writing. That is a Spider-Man thing that he would do in the comics. And that's why I'm so happy about No Way Home. Not only was it a, a nostalgia movie done right, and the villains were pretty fleshed out and given arcs, considering how many that there were, but Peter Parker grew up. He actually became Spider-Man, suffered consequences, and his biggest fight yet, and he did a good, you know, he, he did a good job. Tom Holland did a great job in this movie, and I'm glad that his character is finally getting some justice because it's not Tom Holland's fault that the past two movies I just have not been on board with. Because in the past two movies, Tom Holland's Spider-Man has been literally babied by Tony Stark and the Avengers. And to see him in this movie get literally his aunt killed, his fucking 
you know, he got beaten the shit out of by the goblin. You know, to have his identity outed, fucking up the multiverse. And I mean, he just had so much shit to deal with in this movie. And by the end of the movie, I was like, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. Spider-Man actually was Spider-Man by the end of this movie. And that is all I give a flipping flying shit about as a Spider-Man fan. Seeing the classic costume, seeing the transformation of this character, I'm, I'm completely and utterly uh, happy with what I got. In No Way Home. Now, after giving you the basic rundown of the movie and, and, and what I liked about the movie, let's talk about some uh, throwback lines, okay? Do a little bit of nostalgia. The power of the sun in the palm of my hand, that was in the movie. Very well done. Um, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Another good classic line. Really good classic line. Great power comes great responsibility. Good classic lines. Um, so, you know, this movie had a, a lot of nostalgic lines in it. Those are just to name a few. But at the end of the day, um, I really like the fact that... Um, I really like the fact that this movie not only gave the villain arcs, not only made Peter Parker grow up and actually, you know, create, like, antidotes for these villains himself, but by the end of the movie, he actually creates his own homemade suit. And you guys have no idea how much I love that. This movie is so great. I don't even know what, what to tell you. Like, I don't know how much I, I, can, I can say about this movie with how great that it is. Now, it's not the best MCU movie. Now, what about Spider-Man movies? Where would I rank this among my Spider-Man movies? It's never going to be the best Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man 2 is just the most iconic Spider-Man movie ever. Not only does it actually feel like a Spider-Man story, and there's so much consequence and, and self-doubt and shit that Toby's you know, version had to go through in that movie... But on top of that, um, you have just a great villain with Doc Ock. You know, Spider-Man 2, in my opinion, is the best Spider-Man movie that will ever be created. No Way Home, though, would be a very good second. Spider-Verse being a very close third because No Way Home and Spider-Verse are both very solid films. Um, and then, of course, that would be followed up by Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2002. That would be followed up by uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, because I personally did enjoy Spider-Man Homecoming. Then The Amazing Spider-Man 1. Okay? Then Spider-Man 3. Then Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home I fucking hated. Okay, I hated that movie. Spider-Man 3, I could enjoy a lot more. Um, oh wait, scratch that. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 would go after Spider-Man 3, then Spider-Man Far From Home. I enjoyed Tasm 2 more than Far From Home by a long shot. Tasm 2 was not as bad of a movie, I think, as everybody makes it out to be. But out of all the other movies, I... Maguire is not the best Spider-Man, in my opinion, for a multitude of reasons, he's a great, don't get me wrong, he plays Peter Parker very well. It's just, 
his story is in, and the writing of his character and the writing of his, you know, the story that surrounds him is great. That's when Tobey Maguire, his movies are ranked up there. The story to his movies are better. It's not really so much because of him. It's because of the writing. Tom Holland hasn't had the writing. As you can see by how I rank the Spider-Man movies, his iteration of the character has a great movie, middle-of-the-road movie, and a dog shit movie. Tobey Maguire's movies are relatively on the higher end of the scale. Be two of them being in the top, what, four? And then Andrew Garfield's movies, you know, are just, they're just, they're kind of middle ground movies for me. They are. So Spider-Man No Way Home out of my Spider-Man movies would have to be my second favorite. Um, and the only reason that it beats Spider-Verse and the only reason that it beats um, Spider-Man 1 is because... Number one, they fleshed out the villains from those movies better. Um, number one, and number two, that they actually did MCU Spider-Man justice and, and, and got him to actually be Spider-Man. So, for that, for actually getting him there, I wanted to give them credit for that. I mean, it took him a while, but it's better late than never. So, yeah, it's not my favorite Spider-Man movie, but it is my second favorite. Very closely followed by the original Spider-Man 2002 uh, Sam Raimi movie and um, Spider Verse. So that that's kind of my rankings in the MCU. It's definitely my third favorite MCU movie, especially when we're talking about like solo hero movies. It was very well done, very well done. Spider Man movies, same thing. It, it, it's up there. It's really up there. Um, but it's it's not a flawless movie. And now we're going to get into my, my cons about this film. Aunt May having the dumb idea of let's try to cure villains. Villains. What the fuck are you trying to do? Well, you think that they're going to be like, yeah, man, we're going to get cured and we're going to sing Kumbaya and we're going to, you know, all be happy. Like, no, that shit doesn't fucking happen. Like, are you, are you mad? Are you insane? Do you, do you really think that villains are just gonna, you know, just be like, yeah, we're all good now. Like, no, we're talking about fucking villains here. I mean, I get it. You know, Aunt May is trying to do this to show Peter what being a good person is like and to be a role model. I get that. I understand that. But that was just a really stupid way about going about it. They could have done it in a way that made sense. And not just ludicrously crazy, like, oh, let's try to help fucking bloodthirsty villains. Like, there's a way that you can do that without introducing bloodthirsty villains into the mix. Just saying, you know, you can do it. So, taking all that into, into consideration, this movie, uh, so, so, that was one of my major negatives. Second negative, as I said in the beginning of this podcast... The beginning of this movie moved way too slow. Way too fucking... Or, or, excuse me, way too fast. What the fuck am I thinking? Sorry. It's it's 11.39 at night. Um, way too fucking fast. Okay? This movie's moving fucking quick. I'm just, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? As the movie, you know, gets towards, like, the middle part, it starts to slow down and be coherent. But in the beginning, it was just bang, 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 bang. And I'm like, I can't keep up with this shit anymore. Um, so, yeah. Enjoyed it, but really quick in the beginning. So, um, really quick, 
being a con, on me being a super optimist, a con. Um, what else did I not really enjoy about the movie? Well, the MacGuffin device. I mean, there's a few MacGuffin devices. There was the one that could make cures for literally every villain. That made no sense to me, by the way. How does Tony Stark have a fucking fabrication machine that's just making cures for every fucking villain possible? Like, what? So, yeah, that, that was a little bit... Yeah, I wasn't on board with that entirely. Like, I get it that they all made them, like, the cures, later on in the movie, inside of the school, which is cool, but at the same time, that fabrication machine in the beginning's just like, really? It's kind of, kind of a Iron Boy Jr. move. Um, so that, that's one thing that I, I didn't really care for. And the last thing, the lizard, I'm sorry guys, the lizard in this movie, I just, I don't understand why he was there. Like, okay, Electro, personal connection with, um, personal connection with the lizard, I, I it's just not really there when it comes to Andrew Garfield, it, it's more so just him and Electro that have the personal conversation and stuff, Sandman had more of an arc, like I said, a more to do with this movie than, you know, the rest of the villains, for, for some reason... Um, like I said, the, the two main villains of this movie were pretty much Green Goblin, Doc Ock. Electro was, I mean, there, but he wasn't like, he wasn't, I wouldn't say, in the top two. He wasn't really a contender. Um, but the thing is, Doc Ock stopped being a villain once he got that new chip into his head. So Doc Ock was a villain, then stopped being a villain. Um... To, to put it in the in the simplest of ways possible. That's basically how that, that went. Um, just very interesting, uh, in my opinion, how that, uh, that all went. But, um, when it comes down to the cons, that's really about it. You know, the lizard, don't really understand why it was there. The fabrication machine, maze optimism... Like, there, and then the, the movie moving way too fast in the beginning. Those are my cons, um, but no, they weren't really nothing to majorly impact the movie for me. Um, the movie overall was a very good film. If I had to rate it with a number, um, I'd rate it probably an 8. Um, I know it's not a 9 or a 10 like some people would say, but the only reason that is is because... Taking into consideration that a lot of the people might rate this higher because of fan service. It was good fan service. And the story was really well done. But I don't think that it's a 9 or 10 worthy. Like a 9 or 10 worthy sort of thing is coming up with a brand, you know, a new villain, you know, that we haven't seen before. Writing them very well, making them intimidating and maybe relatable, like, you know, the vulture and on top of that, you know, just having, uh, you know, the hero go through a hero's journey like he did in this movie. And then also doing it earlier on in the franchise. I mean, this trilogy was a little bit of a drag in my opinion. But all in all, I enjoyed Spider-Man No Way Home. It was a great movie. I recommend you guys go watch it in theaters. Pick it up on Blu-ray when it comes out. Um, I had a great time with it. But 
as a reviewer, I have to be critical on a movie. Spider-Man's my favorite comic book character, which means, obviously, I'm going to be a lot more critical on his movies than other said superhero movies. Um, because I just don't care about those characters even remotely on the same level. Um, other than maybe Daredevil. <laughs> but, yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home, really good. I'm going to be having a conversation with Alex Huff at some point over my break here, talking about it uh, with her. But uh, this is my personal review and what I think on it. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed, and I'll catch you all in the next one.